Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search form for the insure tech industry on an international basis. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to hear a bit more about our recruitment services, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm really lucky today to be joined by Rosina Smith, who is Chief Product Officer at McKenzie Intelligence Services. Uh, Rosina, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Alex. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Uh, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, I, I realise we're doing the classic podcast ruse of saying good morning. Um, and we're just creeping into the afternoon here in London. Um, are you, you're based in London as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, near Bank. Good, good. So we're enjoying the same moderately miserable weather that we uh, everyone else is. Um, I, I don't know why that bothers me, but when I speak to people in like Texas or California, I just I just get envy when we're doing the recording. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I've got an equally dull background, so we're in uh, good spirits here. Good, good. Well, look, before we dive in, uh, Rosina, it'd be really helpful if you could introduce yourself um, and, and your role at McKenzie um, before we dive into a bit more detail. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I'm Rosina. I'm Chief Product Officer at McKinsey Intelligence Services. Uh, I have a background in insurance. I worked for Allianz for eight years and I've always been passionate about geospatial topics and how they can really help us smarten up what we do from a property insurance perspective. Um, so I joined the, the world of InsureTech um, back in 2019 after coming from that, that corporate environment and delighted to find myself at um, McKenzie Intelligence Services and currently just building out our team and our product um, after two really strong years of uh, traction in the market. Awesome. Um well, I think like before we jump into to McKenzie, I think it's really interesting to talk about your transition from that kind of corporate insurance world. Yeah. And, and, a, and a real kind of really good, like long progressive career um, at Allianz, right? You sort of stepped through, uh, was it seven years you did there? In, in yeah. Total? Yeah. yeah. And, and like progressive, um, you know, career it's the kind of thing as a, as a search consultant we're always looking for um but then you make that leap of faith into kind of insure tech so I, I kind of you know with people I just want to take the opportunity to say like why was now the right time and then and then how have you found it working in that very I would, I would imagine quite a different working culture yeah it's it was really an incredible journey actually and like so many different experiences in a short period of time so I joined Allianz um, as a summer intern while I was still at university and um, I, I really enjoyed it. I joined their graduate program. I only have good things to say about that experience. Um, and whilst I was at Allianz, I, I sort of got closer into these geospatial topics, you know, implementing flood models and all of that good stuff. Um, and I was able to create a, a dedicated team and that was a real privilege to do for such a large organization and that took me off um, to work in the global head office in Munich um, and actually you know determining how we create these services at a, a global level it's really exciting um, but then I made my work myself my way back to the UK and it sort of becomes business as usual then and um, I realised that I was missing that 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 excitement of 
figuring out how to start something and make it work at scale. And um, I had brilliant um, support and mentors at, at Allianz who were sort of really supportive about things I could get involved in. But I was very, at that point, still sort of really excited about the changes that are happening in the geospatial community and wanting to stay close to that. So I thought, now is the time to leave, kind of have that 10 year um, milestone creeping up on you and think, well, if I don't go now, maybe I'll never leave. And it was um, it was quite shocking to go from a, a company with 55,000 employees over several different countries to suddenly being um, in a team of four at that point uh, where we didn't even have our own office. Um, <laughs> I joined a team that was um, we were actually um a part of the Lloyd's lab process so our office was the the Lloyd's lab at that moment and it was very very different um but, but really great because it it kind of helps you shine a light on the parts of your role that give you energy and it was reminding myself of it was about how do you start something how do you scale it how do you bring new technologies into existing processes and that's the opportunity that um you know that I was afforded by being in a startup and now at McKenzie, we're sort of in that ugly duckling phase where we're not, we can't call ourselves a startup anymore, no matter how much we, we want to. Um, <laughs> we're definitely in scale up, scale up mode. And, um, you know, we've got people that have been here a long time now and our service is being used by um, a, a lot of the of the London, particularly marketplace. Um, we, we're not so scrappy as, as uh, some of um, startup experiences, but that's great too, because there's a whole um, sort of wealth of new experiences that we're getting for the first time of mm -hmm. going through different corporate processes um, that we used to be on the other side of and, and starting to see these things come together and actually seeing a business really growing up is, is, is really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think it's really interesting that you sort of said that sort of that time horizon, that 10 year, um, there's so many things that people kind of build in their mind is like, you know, even in like personal lives, like why is 30 so important? Why is 40 yeah. so important? Kind of like those personal wine stones and, and like that 10 year, why does that matter? And um, but yeah, it's, I suppose it's our search for neatness in our lives, but the, but going from that to the scrappy experience, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, like when we recruit for startups, that they, they seem to be quite anti-corporate environment. But I think, you know, what's been great and been obvious, you know, being someone that works in the recruitment industry, um, seeing a lot of the best people come through, you know, the grad scheme route in the big corporates, because they get to see so many different parts of the business. You get these kind of really broad kind of overviews. And I always say, like, the best talent comes from a lot of the kind of the influences in the Zurichs of this world where, you know, it's just the scale of opportunity you can be in a, in those businesses and being quite an entrepreneurial, innovative unit. Um, yeah. The frustration can be you can't probably get sometimes get those things implemented, and that's probably what you're you're getting there. But um, thank you for that. I think that's like something that will echo with a lot of people that listen in because they'll be at that part of their journey. So I appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about McKenzie Intelligence Services. Um, as you say, you've gone through that startup. You're out that scale up. Um, phase. Um, what what does McKenzie Intelligence Services do? Yeah, what do you provide for insurers? So we are providing event response intelligence in the most basic form. That that's what we do. So an event has happened, and we are the people that are there telling you what's been damaged, why, uh, where is it, and what has caused the damage. Um, yeah. 
So we're doing that through a technology platform that's called GEO, which stands for the Global Events Observer. And we are tracking events across the globe, as the name says. Um, but events could be something like um, the freeze uh, and storm that happened across the states on Christmas Day, unfortunately. Um, it could be flood events that are happening um, in California or flood events that we're, we're seeing happening repeatedly in um, Queensland and Australia. But it's also things like conflict in Ukraine and what's the impact on um, our insurance customers for, for those sorts of um, events. And we work very closely with exposure managers who are responsible for, you know, in the immediate aftermath, giving a number, how much is this going to cost us? How much of our book is impacted? How do we support those people on the ground who are suffering loss? All the way through to claims colleagues who are working out, how do I pay my valid claims quickly and accurately? So we're bringing intelligence to those different teams who are asking slightly different questions about an event, depending on its territory and what's actually occurred and giving them those answers so they can start making rapid decisions. Mm. It's quite interesting when you kind of peel it back. We, we're sat here talking, uh, you know, about which satellites need to be pointing where because this event that we can see coming along in the next three days and then you see that all the way through to completion and the client saying I was able to pay a claim to someone who's spending the evening in a hotel in two days and it would usually have taken me two weeks and actually I think that that whole process is is really fulfilling um, and we get to work with some incredible people who are really trying to improve the processes um, across the market as well. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it's all post-event um interaction for, for your clients and, and, and the services you provide. That's right. Yeah. So we've got um, as an industry, we're pretty lucky that we've got a um, really well developed uh, predictive um, market. We've got a lot of uh, providers out there who are, who are giving some really smart models about how an event might play out and its predictive nature. Why we're different is that we're complementing those models by saying, and this is what actually is happening on the ground right now. And this is how the situation is evolving right now. So it's about giving real time on the ground intelligence and putting it on a desktop that, you know, you're working with, whether that's sat in London or Bermuda or wherever you are, um, you can actually see what's going on in those territories as, as we're speaking. Mm. And do you ex is it exclusively sold to the insurance industry or, or, or do, you, do, you, do you operate outside of that as well? We do operate outside of it as well on a consulting basis. Um, mm -hmm. Our predominant customers are the insurance industry. Our use cases are all catered towards them. Our development is all um, focused towards the insurance use case. But mm -hmm. obviously our data is useful for other um, uh, businesses. And so we do offer it on a consulting basis. Um, but one thing that we we do for every event is make it available to first responders as well. So um, we've got first responder. It's available to first responders should should it be useful in the immediate aftermath. But insurers is our sort of core target market. That's what all of our development is focused on. Yeah, that's interesting about the first responder piece. Um, does that play into... I'm sorry, I'm sadly always thinking about recruitment. I'm, I'm thinking about people like going after like mission-led organizations. Um, 
yeah how loud are you about that part of what you do does that ever play into people's kind of recruitment decisions because i know people are looking for a bit more meaningful work and kind of um you know and that plays into that you know making those things available for yeah first responders and 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 you know insurance we love talking about insurance as a social good but that's a kind of real direct correlation to that it's, have you seen anyone kind of lapse onto that as a as a as a, as a message um not directly from the first responder piece but certainly for the insurer as a social good piece because when we're going through our recruitment processes and with especially if we're talking to somebody who actually has never worked in an insurance organization before mm. and we're saying this is what you would be contributing and this is how our clients would use it you sort of see the penny dropping of oh this is a way to actually to just to actually really improve that social good that insurers do and to help them do it quicker and more appropriately and I, I think um it's a really tan it's a real tangible link when you can see we're telling an insurer they insure this property and 20 hours ago the building was completely destroyed and now that that owner of that property has their insurance um claims premium uh their insurance um claim with them you know that's so tangible and, and and people can really sort of um understand the role that they play and so we do talk about that a lot in our recruitment strategies we, we want everybody to have that really strong sense of purpose and when you are having to actually touch base with your colleagues on christmas day because you're looking at power outages in in um in the us you can understand that there's a really important reason for doing so and it's it's very worthwhile to, to those people who are suffering loss yeah yeah I, I mean i bang the drum uh post event <laughs> i'm a claims guy at heart i spent most of my career i used to work in claims and then i spent most of my career kind of um uh, recruiting claims people the first half of it and um that post event and anything that could make that process quicker more efficient um even more empathetic uh with with information flow is is is, is i think welcome um yeah. but on a practical level um how does it work? How does it, how does, it, how does geo work? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested to sort of know, I know what it does, but how do we get to that state where you're providing this information? So we have um, our CEO and founder, Forbes McKenzie, he has um, a military background. So he actually brought a lot of the military um, experience um, and discipline with him in terms of actually orchestrating um, an intelligence collection mission. And that's how we think about every event. We're bringing as many sources as we can together. And we have um, intelligence experts who actually run that entire process. And then the key thing is that once we've obtained the source, we, we make sure that it's correct and we validate it and we corroborate it against other sources. Um, so we have all of this sort of concurrent activity happening immediately before the event as the event is happening and then in the days afterwards and then we turn it into something that the insurers can actually make use of so having 50 different data sets to tell you that a building's lost its roof isn't particularly um it isn't particularly valuable you just need to know with confidence that that damage has occurred um, so we actually turn it into a grid system and we host the our clients exposure data sets so we know before an event that this is a building um, that you're, is of interest to your business, and we will attach our um, intelligence to that. So what we actually deliver via GEO is a very bespoke package of intelligence that looks like 
your underwriting footprint. It looks like your exposures. We'll be telling you this is a policy that you have that has suffered loss on 80% of its buildings. And we, we do that interpretation. But I could talk about that piece all day because I'm you're you're a claims guy and I, I'm an exposure management guy. You know, that's I think that's really exciting how we can really utilize this exposure management data set, which is a huge strategic asset for, for businesses. But actually, most people want to talk to talk to us about, but what about the satellites and all that cool stuff? That's where most people get excited. Um, so <laughs> we on our intelligence side, you know, spend a lot of time working with different data providers and we are truly data agnostic. You know, we will work with aerial providers and drone providers and we have a relationship with 100% of the commercial satellite providers. Um, so we've got imagery providers for sure but sometimes images don't tell the full story and we need other data sets. We need to bring in big data sets such as um, uh, device data so we can see how populations are evacuating an area and then when they're coming back in. Um, so we'll work with a range of data providers um, to, to make sure we can give the fullest picture um, as the event is occurring. And sometimes, you know, they're just um, there's open source stuff in there as well. So not everything that we we have is is completely, um, uh, it, it, you know, um, uh, proprietary. We'll we'll blend anything that's available. Um, so that might include looking at social media reports, um, etc. Um, but if we actually have to um, go above and beyond because the the peril or the territory demands it, then we absolutely do that as well um, as mm -hmm. as we. I suppose for the nerd in me is just thinking, what's the most unusual like source of data that might surprise people that you, you either you've utilized even on like a one-off basis or, or maybe on a consistent basis that um, uh, perhaps has even surprised you? I mean, Alex, you could have given me a head up, heads up on that question. <laughs> that's, a really, that's a good one. That's a big one. I'm, my my head of intelligence will be there screaming exciting things at me, and I'm just thinking about like aerials and stuff. Um, I, I, our, our latest, um, our, our latest feature is a, the population activity feature uh -huh. where we're looking at devices and, you know, we, we obviously have to think about, um, uh, information security and, and we're sending this data to different territories. So, you know, have to be, um, really cognizant of that, but looking at where devices are moving at a very granular levels whether that be your, your you know your mobile phone your ipad whatever it may be is, mm -hmm. is super interesting um because it paints a really clear picture about the response of the you know the um resilience of of the territories that are impacted by an event whether they've left just before you know was there really um good evacuation procedures in order. And when they came in, actually, what's the repair situation there? Can we get um, repair vehicles to these properties or have we still got closed roads? And I think bringing that device data in um, gives us sort of a, a, a an actual data representation of the sorts of things you see in the media of, you know, and suddenly Miami's back up and running, but this other town has taken five weeks to recover. And actually mm. being able to see that and the implication that has for responding to business interruption claims, for example, um, is, is really interesting. Uh, 
that's uh, yeah sorry for that was quite a mean question um because it was quite uh, yeah um but i think that is fascinating and funnily enough i was talking to uh, a parametric supplier this week and they were talking about using mobile phone data to kind of potentially offer um protection against um a loss in trade for like retail shops yeah. um so you could say like footfall has fallen and if everyone in a region agreed and the mobile phone data backed that up then there's an argument that you could build a parametric product now they were saying that no one could price it and probably be unaffordable but like we were just academically talking about the, the kind of use of that um yeah. which which is quite interesting um talking about that kind of post um do sort of i know it's fairly early but you've got this relationship with like first responders has there been any cases where like governmental agencies have, have kind of asked to see the data to, to sort of try and analyze like why is miami off the ground and why not rather than just an insurance aspect or is that something you could see happening in the future yeah, I can see that happening in the future. We actually are, we have some early discussions um, along those lines happening at the moment. Um, we don't have this available um, to, to governments at this stage, but there is certainly some early interest and we, and we can see that there is a, a clear use case there where we can support. And mm. I think um, even just looking at, well, how do we use this the historic data as well? So not just on first responders, but looking back at historic events that we've covered we've now built up quite significant database of of events that you know we've covered in real time what does that mean for the sorts of supports communities need um and even your example there of parametric and how difficult it is for us as an industry to price new products well now that we're recording parametric mobile phone data um sorry mobile phone data that could be used for parametrics for all of our events um, as standard, well, suddenly there's a data set now that exists to help that pricing. And so I think it's it's really about creating that sort of circular learning of when we see the, the loss happening, that we're actually feeding it into how we as an industry build products and then governments as well, how they can actually support um, improving resilience programs in those areas too. Because mm. there's always that gap, isn't there, on, on large catastrophic events about, you know, where does the responsibility with insurers lie and where does the kind of government step in? And we're constantly having that argument that I, I sometimes feel like both sides are shirking the kind of responsibility and, you know, insurers love to say, oh, it's not our fault. And, and you know, the government should step in at that point and, you know, and vice versa. And obviously the COVID being the most kind of obvious recent global example of, of kind of you know, yeah. lots lots of uninsurable events um yeah. but this type of data allows us to kind of look at potentially where potentially i isolate and identify where the gaps are and whether they are manageable from a risk management perspective or whether they're manageable from you know maybe there's an insurance response to it and, and probably there's also a governmental response to it as well so yeah it's, it's interesting on a macro level where um you can see the benefits of everyone kind of seeing this kind of post-event sort of breakdown that you can provide I agree and I think you're right in that actually insurers and governments sort of grappling with this issue of of you know the, the gap effectively mm. and I think we need more collaboration for sure and one of the things that we're really passionate about at MIS is getting everybody working off the same um same version of fact 
yeah. and actually creating a representation of an event as it's um, as it's unfolding has meant that everyone in the event response process, whether you're in exposure management and underwriting or claims and or loss adjuster, has the same understanding of the event. And that has, we've seen that lead to increased levels of collaboration in within insurers. So maybe that's a challenge for 2023. How do we raise that up and create the collaboration between wider entities as well? Because um, I think it's a lot of the time it's realizing that our, our definition of the issue is quite different and actually finding the similarities and the common understanding is a really good place to start. Yeah, that's really that's a really interesting point about um, collaboration. We, we've had the discussion about collaboration quite a lot on 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 the podcast. But what I find interesting, particularly in the sort of geospatial say, space, you know, satellite imaging space, and all the kind of related analytics around that, there seems to be a very active community, even just within the kind of startup scale up space, of real active want for that sort of partnership and participation is that what you're seeing do you collaborate with a lot of other kind of businesses at the same sort of stage of their journey yeah absolutely we um are really we like to support companies that are you know have good ideas and need a mechanism to get it to the market and mm -hmm. we've also benefited from companies who are willing to collaborate with us so um we've worked with the european space agency for example um we were part of one of their um startup programs it was of huge help to 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 us um and then equally we've um supported some smaller organizations for example um uh, arbitral um who were upgrading their satellites launching their first nighttime satellites we sponsored some of those so and i see there being this um like you said, there are a real interest in collaborating, especially to navigate something that for other industries is, is super complex, like selling to insurers, giving the benefit of your products to the insurance um, uh, industry, which has its ways of working, quite rightly has certain processes and certain conditions that need to be met in order for them to utilize new technologies. And what we see with our platform is it's it's really a hub for these new technologies to to actually um, be presented to an insurer because the insurer knows it would have had to um, have gone through our intelligence checks. It would have had to have been actually creating value and telling them something new about the event in order to make it onto our system. So we're really up for collaborating. And when we see people doing something um, new, for example, these nighttime dedicated satellites, we, we always like to support those, but it goes above and beyond and into the use case as well, which is why we are keen to improve what we do with first responders, improve that collaboration with um, government partners as well. Mm. Um, oh God, I could nerd out this all day. I'm just thinking about, um, you know, a sort of, Thinking about loss adjusting, I find that really interesting, you know, the relationship between loss adjusters and insurers. And, you know, I was just thinking about like, and this might already happen. So I might just be, I was a long time since I worked in claims. Um, you know, almost like you could utilize MIS and, and an insurer relationship and, and that, that triangle relationship between them and the loss adjuster that you've almost got a parametric trigger of, of service of saying, right, there's a catastrophic event here. And rather wait for instruction, it's like agreed part of the contract that when that gets hit, the loss adjuster immediately goes. So before we've even kind of woken up in the morning, a loss adjuster's in the air in transit or locally on the ground, 
at the event flying a drone or, or whatever is is that the sort of service evolution of service that this is seeing or, or is that something that you you do see happening yeah i'd say we're already there um for exactly. a lot, for a lot with a lot of our loss adjusted partners where we've got that really strong relationship like you, you know you describe the triangle it, it works really well so yeah. the minute that you incept the business that business is hosted in the mis service we've got those locations and then the minute that there's an event we have provided that analysis not only to you the insurer but also to your um loss adjusting community they're not waiting for the the um claim to come in they can already see that it's something that you're exposed to and something that they're appointed on yeah. then comes the decision of at what point do you take action um you know what does um pre-ethanol look like and i think that comes up to different insurers you know appetites to um press go and so we have some who still would would obviously want to wait for uh, to receive ethanol and others who would just proactively send out and say, would you like to start ethanol now? Um, because mm -hmm. we've got insight that you may have suffered a loss. Let's move on to the next process. And I think we're seeing more and more who um, are confident because of that strength of relationship and working closer and all working off that same version of the truth mm -hmm. that they can, they can actually be more um progressive in terms of reaching out to clients and that's even on traditional policies you know not not just the parametric policies yeah how does mis work with within parametric insurance i can, I can see the obvious application but um you know that for me is is it's the area probably insurance i'm most excited about um but so yeah have you got any live examples of where you're providing that parametric trigger for people yeah so um one i can talk about is uh yokahu um, mm -hmm. So they're providing lots of different parametric products, but probably best known for what they're doing in the Caribbean with um, wind policy, yeah. uh, parametric wind policy. And um, we act as their data provider for that. So we are, you know, the, the, the factual has the wind breached X, Y, Z condition in those areas as defined in their policy. And they re rely on us to be constantly monitoring um, the different um, wind criteria that they set in their policy um, and to be able to scale with them as their business scales as well. So it's not just um, setting up services that might work in one territory, it's actually being able to scale that across different territories and different perils. Um, and we're seeing more and more demands for that across perils as well. So wind is, is um, one that I think as an industry we've spoken about for quite a long time as, as well as floods. But, but like you say about actually some more of the, the business interruption stuff, we're, we're starting to see increased demand for other parametric um, uh, outputs and to treat MIS as the data provider um, in those to almost act as your, as your trigger. Obviously, you've got this really strong relationship with Lloyd's. I wanted to understand how that relationship developed because I think moving towards anything that can be sort of industry standard, industry kind of accepted as, as the, you know, as you said, single source of truth is, is really important. So how did um, MIS develop that relationship? So we started working with Lloyd's um, many years ago on like consulting for some big projects. And through that, we learned that actually there was some a lot of consistent requirements coming through in all of those different projects. There was always a consistent um, set of questions that were coming through. So we we set out to build 
our first platform, which was called MIS Intel for any of the, the mega fans out there who remember it. Um, and that would be really responding to events, answering series of questions for each of those events. And then as we started working closer with Lloyds, you know, that you understand the requirements more, um, the requirements get bigger. We also started working with the European Space Agency and we're able to capitalize on these changes that were happening in the geospatial community. So increased investments in the geospatial community. And we just pulled it all together. And that's what we built Geo from. But the key thing for us has been being prepared to grow with the market and their demands. So what our product looks like now is not what it looked like three years ago. It has much more of the exposure management element to it. Well, you know, initially we were very much related to the claims process it's now grown into the event response process um and and as you can imagine to to go to the the point where we're now that um the central service for the lloyd's market the strength for us is that we're continuing to learn and adapt with the markets and um we've got support from the market to actually have conversations about what what's the art of the possible and we can go away and do some of that thinking for them and send it back to them and say what do you think and again that spirit of collaboration of they know that our product will look and feel very different in a year's time and that'll be born out of, out of their requests and I think your point about you know how do you actually get to the point where you're establishing yourself I think it's like we're never going to be established because we're doing something really new and it's new for the market as well. And so we're just finding our way. But what we have what we have established is a way of working that allows us to actually do that with, with the Lloyd's market. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's as much as about, you know, particularly Lloyd's, but I think insurance is, is, is much about um, almost like face validity. Like, have you got the right people? Does does the market buy into it? Um, you know, probably to its detriment, but but it is important to kind of acknowledge that. And I, so I think some of the issues with particularly startup and scale up businesses that have kind of avoided that um, yeah. in the past, that's where they haven't been accepted, even though, you know, you can be right, but um, that's not always what's important. You have to be right and 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 right for the market at that time. So I, I think it's a yeah. Yeah, it's great, great credit to the MIS business that you've managed to do that. Um, you recently expanded the platform to allow clients to automatically view like impacts of war on land, political violence, terrorism books. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to understand how you, how do you engage in the political landscape? Um, so we, in, in terms of the exposures that we've opened up the, the platform, um, going back to your previous point, it is about people. And so we're working with um, exposure managers across the market and claims managers across the market and they will be grappling with the same issues on different territories and different events and actually the Ukraine conflict obviously has a lot of elements to it that are completely unique and no other event has featured those elements but a lot of what they want to understand is the same that they would need to understand whether this was a hurricane it's just that the actual policy structures are are different so we said you know, we're going to throw open the doors, send it to us, and we're going to work with you to understand exactly how we get the value out and give you that consistent response like we would any other event. And for us, that's meant hiring the right profile of person as well. So um, someone who not only can understand what catastrophe response looks like, how to um, interpret the claims policies, but also to understand reserving philosophies and how important they are. Um, 
and also to you know, you know understand that um, actually organizations um, have big uh, requirements from a data validity perspective and a solvency perspective and being cognizant of that of if things move in a way that we didn't expect actually just being respectful for that and actually learning from it so we can predict it for the next event and we quickly realized when um, you know well, 11 months ago now, when the Ukraine conflict started, that this was going to um, be significant, even if it wasn't significant in terms of losses, but even just being significant in determining um, the, the the next steps and the approach that we couldn't just keep this to a, a property aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've invited all of that, that additional um, policy structures into our response. And then that allows us to actually work smarter with the sorts of products we build for this event we also haven't covered a conflict in ukraine before so we were learning too and adapting and putting new demands on our suppliers about the sorts of questions we wanted to answer um so yeah just being able to again have that sort of discussion um transparency between the organizations about what's possible and what's required um has allowed us to more effectively uh, sort of gather our intelligence and um, noting that some of our normal intelligence streams like commissioning an aerial flight over Ukraine um, mm. is not appropriate for this event and so mm. we have to do other things. Yeah. yeah I mean we live in such a dynamic global environment um, you know the Ukraine conflict is obviously part of that kind of macro economic or macro political economic um landscape i was, I was thinking about environmental risks um uh, as, as kind of an evolution of kind of risk um what future cases like use cases do you see for for, for products um in the mis for the sort of the near horizon um as as you evolve not just in kind of property now you're looking at the kind of as you've just mentioned you know political violence landscape terrorism landscape is yeah. there going to be more kind of environmental exposures you look into is is that the most sort of next obvious place that you would kind of change your data sets perhaps yeah definitely definitely see the environmental impact coming through all the time and requests for it um and so i think there'll be more collaboration on our side with those organizations who are working on the predictive nature and the impacts of climate change we mm-hmm. certainly want to start bringing those um features in as part of the event response as well so not only are we telling you this is what's happened in this event, but perhaps if we could change some of the conditions um, based on what's pre- you know likely to happen over the next five to ten years, um, that would be important. Um, also, we predict that as populations have to um, change um, because of climate change and and actually um, how we. Uh, actually respond to claims that are potentially likely to happen on a more frequent basis. Um, We know that the concentration of events is going to increase. We're going to have more exposures um, in concentrated areas as um, people respond to land use requirements, for example. Um, But I think something that we we, um, often gets mentioned as well, separately to climate change, um, is cyber. And that's still very um, prevalent um, concern that that comes to us of you know can you help us understand um, organisations that are linked and potential impacts of cyber events so we we still get that too. Interesting. 
Interesting. Well, look, I, I think I could nerd out on this all day, but we've got to probably uh, call it to call it to a time at some point. So, Rosina, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the podcast. I'm glad we got to do this done. And thank you again for rescheduling because you, you managed to do that politely. Um, so, yeah, no, thank you very much. And um, yeah, I look forward to more of what you, um, MIS uh, and the team get up to over 2023 and beyond. Thanks, Alex. It's been great. Thank you. You're welcome. Sophie? Thank you so much for listening to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. As ever, this is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search firm for the insure tech industry on an international basis. If you want to find out more about what we do from a recruitment standpoint, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. 